number of churches this morning, and I heard about the victims. I heard about the senior citizen um, who planted trees on her block. I heard about the woman who just went to visit her husband in a nursing home and then stopped by at Tops to get something to eat. I heard about uh, the young gentleman uh, who worked in the office of Senator Kennedy, who survived, who was shot through the neck, and who God's um, uh, basically spared his life. I heard about countless number of victims this morning. I held in my arms a young lady who worked at Tops, who was so afraid that she was about to die, who witnessed the bloodshed, who shaked and quivered in my arms this morning, who was afraid for her community, but afraid also for herself. This event will not define Buffalo. This event will bring Buffalo residents together. This event was committed by a sick, demented individual who has fueled a daily diet of hate. So let us now tamper down our comments, all of us. Let us make sure that we have standards in journalism. Let us make sure that we investigate social media, and my office will be focused on doing that, as we have been doing for um, the last few months. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Last weekend, while I was in Miami enjoying my son's college graduation with my family, Americans across the country were being terrorized by gun violence. In just this one weekend, there were six mass shootings, 14 people killed, and dozens injured. Copycat shooters are feared to follow. No, expected to follow. And four of the six shootings are thought to have a racial component that can be linked to one sprawling, ever-mutating belief now commonly known as the white replacement theory. This was terrorism. This was hate. And this would be a good day for every politician in this country, left, right, and center, every media figure in this country, left, right, and center, to come out and unequivocally condemn white nationalism, so-called replacement theory, and any other hateful ideology that could have contributed to something like this before it happens again. After the shooting of Taiwanese parishioners in Laguna Woods, California, Governor Gavin Newsom expressed anger at both sides in Washington for enabling a cycle of grief and indifference over gun violence, asking what the hell is going on in this country? Hate that through the media and politics, the internet, has radicalized, angry, alienated, lost, and isolated individuals into falsely believing that they will be replaced, that's the word, replaced, by the other, by people who don't look like them. I call on all Americans to reject the lie. And I condemn those who spread the lie for power, political gain, and for profit. These terrorists shooting up every fucking place in America are typically white men who have otherized communities of color and non-Christian faith. Just since the beginning of the year, there have been 198 mass shootings. I'm going to say it again, 198 mass shootings or a shooting where four or more individuals are being shot at. 
Shooters range in age, but the radicalization of the teenager in Buffalo boarded his home during the pandemic can be easily traced to back to the gaming platforms like YouTube, 4chan, and Discord. I mean, that kid then strapped on a fucking GoPro and filmed his mass murder at a grocery store like he was playing a round of Call of Duty. The whole world is burning. Sometimes, the only way to put out the flames is with more fire. We are united by death. That's what Tucker Carlson said during his first on-air appearance after the Buffalo Kid killed 10 black people in a spree that was, at least in part, inspired by Carlson. Or so the shooter said over and over again in his 180-page racist manifesto. Sadly, a few weeks ago, after the New York subway shootings, I talked about gun violence and concluded that at least for now, nothing is going to change because it's an election year and guns in general are part of the larger culture war. I'm sorry about that and I'm sorry for all the victims who will suffer because of it. So instead, let's talk about the rise of white supremacy in America and its relationship to gun violence and to fucking Tucker Carlson. I'm going to break down Carlson's A block from his show on Monday night to illustrate how Carlson thinks. Welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight there was a horrifying, we're sad to tell you, a horrifying amount of violence in the United States over the weekend, as increasingly there is. Over just two days, at least 104 Americans were shot to death in major American cities. That's a lot. How many? Well, for perspective, on the single deadliest day of the Iraq War, that would be January of 2005, a total of 37 Americans died. So what's happening in our cities right now looks a lot like a war, even if we rarely acknowledge it. Dallas, Milwaukee, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, many other metro areas recorded murders over the weekend. That's typical now. In St. Louis, 13 people were shot, five of them fatally. In Chicago, 33 were gunned down. Five of those died. In Laguna Woods, California, a Chinese immigrant from Las Vegas walked into a Presbyterian church and shot six elderly Taiwanese parishioners. Police say he was motivated by some kind of political and ethnic hatred. And of course, most famously of all, on Saturday afternoon, a teenager in a mock military uniform walked into a grocery store in Buffalo and shot more than a dozen strangers with a rifle. Against better practices, Carlson used the shooter's name on air. I mean, seriously, why give the kid any glory, Tucker? And he called the shooter mentally ill, which sounds to me a lot like guns don't kill people, people do. Or as one of Carlson's guests put it, crazy people do crazy things. So what is hate speech? Well, it's speech that our leaders hate. So because a mentally ill teenager murdered strangers, you cannot be allowed to express your political views out loud. He also blamed the Democrats for focusing on race, even though the shooter himself was very clear that he chose that particular Buffalo grocery store because of its proximity to a black neighborhood. And above all, race politics always makes us hate each other and always in a very predictable way. So let's say you were to make identity politics mandatory in your country as they have. How could you be surprised when that leads, as it inevitably will, to white identity politics? Well, you could not be surprised. You did it, and it was always going to happen. And then what happens next? Nothing good. Race politics is a sin. 
Race politics always leads to violence and death. Then Tucker gave America his plan for a path forward in the form of a little parable about how Rwandan tribes like the Hutus and the Tutsis made peace after war by de-emphasizing their race and putting Rwanda first. What Tucker ignores is that the Hutus and the Tutsis are all black and their war was not about race. Tucker went on to proudly proclaim that all lives matter. Hey, way to fucking go, Tucker. I mean, a dog whistle to whites who loathe the Black Lives Matter movement and added that we should not be judged by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. I mean, lately, the GOP drags the Martin Luther King quote through the mud when trying to justify why critical race theory or even black history should not be taught in schools. Mangling King's words to say blacks insisting on some special history that makes white people feel bad is what causes racism. I mean, blaming the victim is just classic Carlson. There is only one answer to rising racial tension, and that's to de-escalate and do what we have done and tried to do for hundreds of years, which is work toward colorblind meritocracy and treat people as human beings created by God rather than as faceless members of interest groups that might benefit some political party or, or other. We have a moral duty to do this because all people have equal moral value, no matter what they look like. All lives matter, period. That's not the determination of the US government, that's the determination of God, and it's true. And most Americans already believe it. They would like to see a return to the American way of life. And the American way of life is meritocracy. Judge me by what I do not by how I look, by the content of my character, not the color of my skin. We have a monument on the mall to this. And yet suddenly, every voice in power is leading us in the opposite direction. And what's the terminus of that journey? It's destruction. But Carlson's call for a colorblind meritocracy in the wake of 10 black people being killed by a white racist is the height of arrogance. Colorblindness asked that people of color abandon their ethnicity while perpetuating the lie that people succeed only because they work hard and not because of their privilege. What Tucker, a very fucking privileged white guy, is actually saying is that blacks would do fine in America if they'd only just deny their race and try to fit in. Or as one conservative pundit put it, we are the most diverse country in the world. Things would be fine with the races if we just stopped talking about it all the time. And for all Tucker had to say about the Buffalo shootings not really being political and the mentally ill kid who conjured his name as an excuse to kill, Carlson never once took responsibility for any of it. Not even a G. If anything I've ever said has been misinterpreted by that homicidal maniac, I'm sorry. Why? Because he's not. Since you've made this our new national motto, please be specific as you explain it. Can you think, for example, of other institutions, such as, I don't know, marriage or military units, in which the less people have in common, the more cohesive they are? Do you get along better with your neighbors or your coworkers if you can't understand each other or share no common values? Please be honest as you answer this question. Carlson then ended the segment by calling Liz Cheney a smart person who was very troubled and motivated by hate in a way that's disfiguring her. Disfiguring her? What? I mean, Carlson is like that preppy fucking douchebag that everyone hated in school. The fucking sarcastic prick who has no idea that he isn't funny or cool. And yet, 
He is the number one cable news show on television. Advertisers long ago jumped ship because of his increasingly extreme views. But advertisers be damned. He's got the My Pillow guy and ads for his own searing investigative specials like Patriot Purge, which claims the January 6th attack on the Capitol was a false flag. And then the end of men, where Carlson endorses testicle tanning. I mean, seriously? testicle tanning as one way men can return themselves to testosterone-fueled dominance, which of course is necessary for society to reestablish order after collapse. So obviously half the viewers right now are like, what? That's testicle tanning? That's crazy. But my view is, okay, testosterone levels crash and nobody says anything about it. That's crazy. The Anti-Defamation League is renewing its call for Fox News to fire Tucker Carlson for his advocacy of what they call the Great Replacement Theory or White Replacement Theory. It's an old idea, folks, once on the fringes of white supremacist dogma that's now being openly embraced by people like Carlson, like Republican politicians and pundits and the right-wing press. So listen closely, and you'll begin to recognize its buzzwords whenever right-wing nuts speak. Just steps from the town square, Heimbach moved his family to this two-acre plot. Matt Parrott, Heimbach's friend and co-founder of the Traditionalist Worker Party, bought the land in a bank repossession. A handful of Heimbach's other followers have joined them. Their plan? To build a community of like-minded separatists in this rural enclave. The replacement theory is based on the idea that somehow Western elites, often manipulated by Jews and particularly George Soros and the Rothschilds, want to replace and disempower white Americans. The fear it crystallizes is that the future of America is not white. The replacement theory has become an engine of racist terror everywhere and clearly fueled the 2017 violent right-wing tiki torch rally in Charlottesville, where counter-protester Heather Heyer was run down by a white supremacist who used his muscle car to kill her. And yet, Trump validated those assholes when he insisted... Very fine people on both sides. No, they weren't. But cut to then January 6th, and according to a Mother Jones report, Carlson defended the theory's role in motivating the attack on the U.S. Capitol building. Democrats and supporters of immigrants' rights are supposedly giving immigrants and their anchor babies jobs and lots of free stuff to secure their loyalty. In Carlson's words, Democrats are bringing in more obedient voters from the third world in order to replace the current electorate and win elections. We're talking tonight not just about another racist mass shooting, but also the driving notion behind this and several others, and more controversially, the question of whether that notion, white replacement theory as it's called, is being tolerated or even perpetuated by some on the political right. There's breaking news right now on one such figure, New York Congresswoman and third-ranking House Republican Elise Stefanik. She's being accused of using replacement theory language in campaign ads, something she denies. Liz Cheney, the Republican Congresswoman whose leadership job she took, tweeted today, the House GOP leadership has enabled white nationalism, white supremacy, and anti-Semitism. History has taught us that what begins with words ends in far worse. GOP leaders, Cheney says, must renounce and reject these views and those who hold them. Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger was more specific. Here is my replacement theory, he tweets. We need to replace Elise Stefanik, GOP leader, at Rep MTG, at Cawthorn for NC, and a number of others. The replacement theory they are pushing, tolerating, 
is getting people killed. Crazy? Yeah, but even one of the highest ranking members of the House, Republican Elise Stefanik, said in a Facebook ad that the left's plan to grant amnesty to 11 million illegal immigrants will overthrow our current electorate and create a permanent liberal majority in Washington. According to NPR, no public figure has promoted replacement theory more loudly or relentlessly than Carlson, who has made it a central theme of his show since joining Fox's primetime lineup in 2016. A New York Times investigation published this month found that Carlson amplified the bogus notion of white replacement on his show in more than 400 episodes. In political terms, this policy is called the Great Replacement, the replacement of legacy Americans. The strategy is to change the demographics of the country. You disempower the people who live here. You take their votes away. The Democratic Party is trying to replace the current electorate. And worse, his producers searching for salacious raw material for his show scoured the same dark corners of the internet that the Buffalo Shooter and so many other tragically insecure white men do. It's not a pipeline, it's an open sewer, said Chris Steyerwalt, a Fox News political editor who was fired for calling Arizona for Biden. Starwalt is currently sourcing his time at Fox to write a book on how media outlets stoke anger to build audiences. I would dare anyone to go into the hollers of West Virginia or of Kentucky or the communities that have been destroyed by globalism around this country where the communities have literally been torn apart and look in the eyes of white working class men, women and children and tell them that they have any power in this system whatsoever. But no matter how you slice it, the innocent folks, the normal Americans out doing what we all do on weekends, like shopping, going to church, hanging out with friends, these folks did nothing to inspire the sort of hate that got them shot and killed. That's on wingnut politicians, on Carlson, and media outlets like his that foment and inspire the worst elements in our society with their words. So folks, listen up, words matter. Conspiracies and lies, especially when repeated over and over again, have devastating consequences. And until it stops, we are not safe in America. I wish to God I could tell you differently, but sadly, I can't. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to Mea Culpa David Korn, the veteran Washington journalist, bureau chief of Mother Jones, and on-air analyst for MSNBC. Korn co-authored with Michael Isakoff, Russian Roulette, the inside story of Putin's war in America and the election of Donald Trump. He's also the author of three New York Times best-selling books and was the longtime Washington editor of The Nation. His latest venture, the twice-weekly newsletter, Our Land, covers the news of the day and delivers his no-bullshit analysis on everything from DC politics to his entertainment recommendations. I mean, just reading it makes you feel smarter. He has written for numerous magazines and newspapers, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, Harper's, and The Atlantic. He regularly appears on Face the Nation and PBS's NewsHour and often provides commentary on national public radio. 
He's also a proud Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Brown University, and his Twitter feed, at DavidCornDC, has almost a million followers. Interested in hearing this one? I think so. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, David, so tragically, 10 people were murdered in Buffalo by a white kid with a long gun. Now, the kid leaves a 180-page manifesto outlining, quoting Tucker Carlson's racist replacement theory propaganda. And yet, Tucker Carlson still seems like he's bulletproof. I mean, his show remains that one of the top cabled news shows in the country. I mean, what, if anything, can stop him? You know, the show reflects the fact that there are people out there who want to hear his swill, right? And his swill is has been racist in the past. You know, it's automatically, uh, reflexively anti-Biden, anti-Democrat, anti-liberal. I mean, it's, you know, his appeal is, in a lot of ways is like Trump's appeal initially in 2016 when people, you know, whether they even thought he was going too far, they wanted an angry SOB who would kick, you know, the liberals in the teeth, you know, be distinctly, you know, anti-politically correct, which in my view means anti-decent. And they just wanted to rally behind somebody who was a bastard. And Tucker gets up there and he feeds, you know, a lot of people's worst fears, paranoia, uh, grievances, that the world is out to get you, the forces are are, are arrayed against you, and the, the whether it's the business world, the uh, the media, the uh, academia, and of course the you know Democrats, and they're all out to get you and change the world. Now, I understand why people feel like that, but this easily bleeds into racism, right? It's not that they're just out to get you; they're helping the people with brown skin and black skin. They care more about them than they care about you. Um, they want to bring in these immigrants. They want to bring in these immigrants to replace you or to get votes for them so they can you know, continue their crusade against you. You know, it, it just keeps bleeding. This is like not a dark line or hard and fast line that he crosses or that Trump crossed in some ways. It's all just kind of moves from one mad as hell perspective until something deeper and darker and, you know, and in this case, in a lot of cases, racist. So there's Tucker out there doing his angry man bullshit. And it's, you know, it's there after boys, it's COVID and it's, you know, critical race theory, you know, gay marriage. And it's taking white people out of the picture and caring more about black people. And so it's all part of his shtick. And there's nothing surprising about it. And I don't see why Fox at this point would change anything about this. Uh, as long as he's getting viewers, uh, they're just they're going to stick with him. It's, you know, it, they haven't gotten mad at him or done anything for all the other lies up to now and all the other acts of racism. Uh, there's an audience. They're going to they're just going to keep going with this. And, you know, the, the Murdoch's don't seem to mind. They really don't seem to mind that he is peddling hate and conspiracy theory. You know, remember the, the show he did a couple of months ago in which he literally said that Biden is sending black helicopters out there 
to get people like you and that the January 6th thing was a uh, riot was a false flag designed to call good Americans traitors and criminals. I mean, it's complete nonsense. Um, but unfortunately, it's a, there's a market and it's going to keep going. And I see him as being part of a, I guess, a wider movement in the Republican and conservative world towards greater and greater extremism. I think I, you know, my, it's a, the theory I have is that after they kind of got away with January 6th, I mean, Trump wasn't impeached. Nobody lost their job over it. I mean, some people are going to jail, but in general, the big lie, everyone who perpetuated it, you know, now they're all together, working together, Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell back supporting Trump if he runs again. That after getting away with that, I think they felt even more liberated to be even more extreme. So now they attack Democrats for being pedophiles, which is complete bullshit and nonsense. They're out there when they talk about banning abortion. They're now talking about banning abortion without any exceptions. They used to always make sure that you know, Ray Binzes, life of the mother, so that they didn't look completely unreasonable. But now they're passing laws without that. They're, you know, they they turned critical race theory into a a a, 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 a moral panic. Uh, they're out there saying you you know if you uh, you can't deal, you know deal medically with people who are transgender that you go to jail jail if you do that. I mean the the extremism, and of course people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and others running around at at Nazi, literally at Nazi events and supporting QAnoners and Trump doing the same. So the window, you know, the Overton window, the, you know, the, the goalposts of extremism in the last year, instead of ratcheting back after January 6th, have just gone further and further to their right into extremist territory. Yeah. And it's, it's, there's really no words at this point other than to say good for President Biden, who I understand is visiting Buffalo today. Right. And he's going to do the political thing. He's going to go meet with the families of the victim. And, and, and you know, a, 10, 10 people black were killed by this crazy 18 year old white supremacist, which. Good for Joe Biden. He did something that Trump never would do. He's calling out white supremacy as poison, right? I mean, good good for him in terms of, you know, in terms of that. But this is really no joke, especially, you know, when you start to see, you know, what's what's going on here and I'll be very honest with you. I'm I watched uh, you know, Tucker Carlson um, you know, every now and then because I watch it simply so that I could get a better understanding of, you know, what's going on here, who's doing what, who's saying what, and so on. And I didn't hear Tucker Carlson mention the names of any, any of these 10 innocent black victims Lives taken, whether they are ages 20 to 86, taken from us simply because of the color of their skin. So before we move forward, I want to do something that Tucker Carlson either doesn't have the desire to do or the balls to do it. But let me tell you the names of these folks. 32-year-old Roberta Drury, 52-year-old Margus Morrison, 
53-year-old Andre McNeil, 55-year-old Aaron Salter, 62-year-old Geraldine Talley, 65-year-old Celestine Cheney, 67-year-old Hayward Patterson, 72-year-old Catherine Massey, 77-year-old Pearl Young, and 86-year-old Ruth Whitfield. All right, those are the names of the people, Tucker, who were killed by this insanity that you foster on a daily basis. And as far as I'm concerned, the blood of these people are on his hands. They're on the hands of Rupert Murdoch and Fox News and all of these others. And while my heart goes out to them and I'm sick and tired of seeing all the politicians jump onto the Twitter sphere or into this metaverse and say, you know, prayers and, and, you know, and sorrow for the families. Bullshit already. It's enough. And I know what it's like to have the right, the legal right to carry a firearm. But I'll be very honest with you. I've never shot in my entire life an AR-15. Nor do I think that I should ever shoot one unless I'm actually in combat. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have a question for you. Because, um, you know, I'm working on a book. Um, that I'm finishing up about the history of the Republican Party's interaction with extremism, bigotry, paranoia, and conspiracy theory, going back to McCarthyism up until literally today. And I was looking at the Charlottesville, you know, episode in which Trump insisted more than once in saying, you know, there are two sides to this, very fine people on the other side, you know, you know, the, the whole the whole event there was organized by white nationalists. But he, you know, said they have a point. We don't, shouldn't take down these statues. These people are, you know, are being, you know, unfairly denigrated. And you know, when you testified in Congress, you called Trump a racist. And I was wondering, when, you know, when he was thinking about running through the birther bullshit and you know, beginning of the 2016 campaign, you know, when he's out there talking about, you know, how you people are being screwed and they're taking away our heritage and all that, um, how much? Of that, in his view, in his thinking, is just explicitly racist. Well, look, with Trump, everything has to be on an ad hoc basis, right? You, what I try to do in my book, Disloyal, and what I try to do here on this Mea Culpa podcast movement, is I try to use anecdotes of things that occurred, which shows the the racist, the sexist, the misogynistic, the xenophobic, the homophobic, the Islamophobic, the anti-Semitic comments that Donald Trump makes. It's not as if he's going to walk around using the N-word. It's not that he's going to turn around and talk to you, David, about um, the great replacement conspiracy and so on. But there are things that come out in his statements, in the things that he says and does. For example, Charlottesville. For example, his refusal to denounce David Duke, his stupid ass comment after you saw these folks walking down the street screaming Jews will not will not replace us, something reminiscent of the Third Reich. I'm always and I'm curious as to how he's going to ultimately one day explain that to Kushner's kids, right? His grandchildren who are modern Orthodox Jewish. It's these statements that he makes that gives you the ability to point your finger, as I did, 
and just say, Donald, you're just a fucking racist. So acknowledge it and admit it. But he doesn't walk around saying it so that you can point it. You need to use the anecdotes. And that's one of the reasons why I ultimately decided to write Disloyal and that I decided to create this podcast and to put myself out there as I do, whether it's newspapers uh, with journalists like yourself or um, in the press. Yeah, it just it seems to me that, you know, of course, he took over the party. Everyone supported him, you know, even when he made even if they, even when they accused him of being racist, Republicans accused him of being racist when he attacked Judge Curiel for ruling against him in, in, the, in Trump University. Because he was and Mexican. That's right. Because he, he said he was Mexican of heritage, but he right. grew up in and was born in Indiana. Um, Why does that matter? Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, it, it, but he really has given, you know, created this tremendous permission structure. And when I look at what's happening with, you know, critical race theory and other things, and now, you know, the replacement theory from Tucker, it just, you know, you know, he he did this. He succeeded. He became president, didn't win a second time. But it just is granting the, the whole right and a lot of people in the Republican Party to be kind of as racist as they want to be. And, you know, attend Nazi events and, you know, hang out with white nationalists like Nick Fuentes. Um, it just, you know, you know, rather than looking at the Trump years and the January 6th event as something, you know, that the Republicans and conservatives should, you know, to reevaluate, re it just really seems to, you know, have, you know, in, in spinal tap terms, turn the amplifier up to 11. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it. Look, there's there's so there's so much more than just Donald Trump's stupid comments, his racist comments. There's more to even than Tucker Carlson. We're now seeing somebody who's the third highest ranking Republican out there two days after the shooting. Elise Stefanik here of New York is out there and continuing to promote this great replacement conspiracy. And look, I don't I don't understand why anybody would vote for her. I don't understand why they don't throw her out as a vote of no confidence. I mean, the nonsense that they are all promoting. Well, what did you expect was going to happen when you promote this sort of crazy ideology that, you know, it's really the Jews that they believe are bringing in the immigrants and promoting interracial marriage to suppress whites. Well, with all due respect to whoever it is that wrote that fucking manifesto in the first place, you know, Jews are for the most part white. Now, of course, there are Ethiopian Jews and there are black Jews and so on. I get that. But for the most part, Jews identify as white. So the notion that these white nationalists ascribe to this massive, massive multi-generational plot by the Jews to destroy the United States of America, right, with this crazy conspiracy, you know, theory, it's, it's nonsense. But Donald will take that crazy conspiracy if he believes that he can use it for his own benefit and continue to promote it. As, as is Tucker we, Carlson. 
By the way, Tucker's not doing it because I don't look. I don't give a shit what anybody says to me. You know, Tucker's not an idiot. Uh, In fact, he's a pretty bright guy. I've sat and I've spoken to him on several occasions. He's not stupid by any stretch of the imagination. I believe that he ascribes to this nonsense simply because it continues to feed him and feed him well with the $30 million a year, you know, contract um, with Fox News and so on. Um, I don't think he believes any of the shit that comes out of his mouth. I just think that he's doing it because it financially benefits him. It, it, and what we see from him and what we you know, even see from Trump sometimes it, it, it can seem except, exceptional. But I mean, I'm thinking of the 2018 midterms and before the 18, 2018 midterms, not just Trump, but a lot of Republicans started talking about the, the, the migrant caravan. Remember, it was coming from Central America through Mexico. And they're coming to get you. Terror. They're coming to get you, David Corn. Coming to get you and getting terrorists. But one aspect of that, and Trump did this, Matt Gates did this, other, uh, others did this, was that the caravan was being paid and supported by liberals, including George Soros. So you talk about like this anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that, that 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 Trump and Gates and others are passing that the Jews are out there giving money to these immigrants who are you know you know migrants who are heading towards the Mexican border to come here to replace you to commit crimes because they're terrorists and what happens well you know the tree of life shooting in Pittsburgh was done by a fellow who was, you know, had in his greed complained about the caravans. And then there was also the bombing, you know, the mail bombings, you know, uh, a guy sending bombs through the mail to the Clintons and the Obamas and to George Soros, a guy named Caesar Sayok, who was worried about the caravan and obviously, you know, the Jewish connection there. I mean, so we've already seen, you know, before, you know, Tucker's latest screeching about white replacement theory, that similar racist notions and conspiracy theories have been advanced, not just by talking heads, but by Trump and other Republicans. And it has led to acts of violence. The Walmart shooter in El Paso in 2019, um, he was, you know, you know, believed that immigrants are being brought in to replace um, white people and to dilute the power of Republicans and conservatives. So this stuff has been going on for years and it has already led to violence before this dreadful attack on Buffalo. I mean, I hate to say this, it's just not new. No, sadly it's not. It's just another racist mass shooting by a deranged, you know, by a deranged individual. In this case, you know, just this 18-year-old white male. You know, I wanted to ask you this question because I often think about things. Sometimes I don't want to say them because they're somewhat radical as well. But do you believe that capital punishment for something as heinous as what this kid did would be a good deterrent. And I'm not talking about just a nice execution where they put you to sleep. I'm talking about almost like going to Gilead, right? You know, um, in the Handmaid's (laughs) Tale. And I'm talking about like legitimately, like maybe hang them 
or something in Madison Square Garden or someplace up in Buffalo, right? Do you think that something that drastic is what's needed in order to stop, you know, these these people who become infatuated with this concept of this mass this these mass shootings especially in in the, in the fact that it's racially driven i mean just watching him sit there in the courtroom i would have rather see them just hit him across the side of the head with an old fucking phone book you remember those days right just something so that the next kid or the next person says you know what you know i don't want to be i don't want to be stripped butt ass naked and hung in the middle of the square right you know for everyone to see maybe i should put away that ar-15 and burn that 180 page manifesto i look i don't know i i I mean i understand it's a radical concept and all and i just i i I, it's not even that i really want to see something like this i just want this shit to stop I don't want to see an. I don't want to see another set of emoji hands together with another thoughts and prayers to the family. These families should not have to be going through the sorrow yeah. and the pain that they're going through. Yeah, you know, I, I I understand the impulse, and if you know, I thought this would work, I'd be more somewhat more sympathetic. You know, if we could if we could trust the state, you know, the state, you know, letting the state kill people and decide to do these things has all sorts of problems and i think in general that in some you know a lot of these cases we see these folks are you know willing to die or they end up committing suicide themselves and they want to be martyred i I just don't know if it would end up being the deterrent this kid didn't want to be martyred this kid did not want to be a martyr that's certainly for sure and you know what my biggest fear is that ultimately he'll get out and then he'll be like that kid Rittenhouse hanging out at Mar-a-Lago being a fucking celebrity superstar. This guy's not getting out. I mean, Dylan Roof, you know, there there are certain, you know, you know, Mark David Chapman, John Hinckley, you know, there are certain crimes. They, they just don't get out. So he won't get out, um, you know, and, you know, the white nationalists out there may make him into a martyr for them. But um you know, you know, David, you bring up a good point. Let me just let me follow it up with a different question to you, because sure. you've been in journalism a long time in all your years working in the press and reporting on American politics. Has the threat of white nationalism ever been so great? And in your opinion, why are so many Americans embracing it? Yeah, you know, I. It's kind of interesting, you know, you know I remember being in chicago uh in november 2008 and obama wins and i'm in the press room with a a lot of journalists you know know, some working for places like mother jones me and new yorker and others who are just working you know for more mainstream conventional places and there were you know tears in a lot of people's eyes that you know that america had done something different we you know we elected a black person. And I remember in those days, even, you know, Republicans, some Republicans saying, you know, I didn't support him. I don't believe him on policy, but there is something positive about this. You know, we, you know, we have a history of racism in this country and electing a a black man to the job, you know, 
has value and is important. And it felt like we were making what you could call progress, right? We, you know, for the country, I actually didn't think that he would win um, until the end, but, you know, up for much of the campaign because I didn't think Americans, enough Americans would vote for a black man. I just thought racism was too deep seated um, in our country. And, but what we've learned since then is that there, the racism in America is just incredibly intertwined with our roots. And, you know, and even though I think America got to the point where a lot of people realized it was at least impolite to act and talk racist in public, it was still widely felt in a very tribal sense that, you know, there are blacks out there getting or brown people out there getting something that we're not getting or the Democrats or others are just helping them, not helping us. Um, I mean, a lot of polling shows that these are some very significant sentiments. They were not majority sentiments, but 20, 30, 40% sentiments, right? And, you know, it was enough for Trump to, you know, exploit this first first with birtherism and then with his campaign in 2016, you know, to get enough of a base to um, defeat other Republicans. And, you know, and by succeeding, you know, showing people that you could get by and you could say things. I mean, Rush Limbaugh preceded him in a way in doing this in, you know, with, with racist and, you know, comments that, and in the comments that were, were arguably or racist, racist tinged and for an audience and, you know, fighting back what do you call political correctness. And so there was, you know, it, over the last 20, 30 years, it has, you've had, you've had this contradiction with racism receding in some ways, but also becoming deeper in some ways and moving forward. But I think, you know, w- w- with Trump, there was never a candidate that was as explicit about it. Even when even when Richard Nixon was playing um, a major candidate, of course, it was George Wallace and Lester Maddox and others. But even when Richard Nixon was playing the Southern strategy, it was often encoded language, right? And even Reagan talked about states' rights. You know, Trump gets out there in the 2020 campaign and talks about how they're destroying to all white audience. They're destroying our heritage when they're taking down Confederate statues. That's the thing. You're not taking down statues of Washington and Jefferson and Lincoln. They're taking down Confederate uh, Confederate statues. And he says they're destroying our heritage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just he's just trying to embrace his his, embrace his inner stupidity. But, you know, even when I was in Otisville, right, which was. And even prior to that, I used to get into arguments with people over the fact that whether I like Trump or I dislike Trump, I support my president regardless of party affiliation. Now, that doesn't mean that I want him to run again in 2020 or I was not ecstatic that he lost or that I don't want to see him run again, which I don't believe he will in 2024. But the notion that you want your president to fail to me, is stupid because if your president fails, so does the country. But bring talking about stupid people, you wrote an excellent piece in your newsletter, Our Land, about Rudy Colludi Giuliani's 
odious appearance on The Masked Singer and the role that television is playing to whitewash the images of seriously dangerous politicians. Can you do me a favor? Can you explain how and why we're amusing ourselves to autocracy? Yeah, I mean, there was a great book that came out in the 80s by a cultural critic named Neil Postman, and it was called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And mainly he looked at TV news and how, you know, with music and with commercials and with soft features that, you know, take away from, you know, the, the true issues of the day, it, you know, and on, you know, and it, uh, and appearing on a passive medium as, such as TV is that, you know, we had turned news into entertainment. And so it wasn't about how to think about the world and make the world better, or have honest policy debates. It was really about being amused, being entertained. And uh, I read that book many years ago. I knew Neil, he passed away sometime and always thought he was you know, a very smart person. And this was a very unique take Um and this is before cable TV, before the internet, you know, before, um, you know, 100,000 different stations and, and everything else. So he was really on top of this stuff. And if you look at Rudy Giuliani appearing on The Masked Singer, here's a guy who tried to help overthrow the constitutional order of the United States. You know, he did it again and again and again, you know, and he helped work up people who then attacked the Capitol, and law officers were beaten. One died the next day, several committed suicide afterwards. And, you know, our government came close to being toppled. I don't think that's an over, uh, I don't think that's an exaggeration. But here he is, this is what he's done most recently. And yet network executives come along and say, hey, isn't this fun? We can put on the mass singer turn him into this cuddly celebrity who can even make fun of himself and dress up as a jack-in-the-box and just pretend that what he did before was just part of the larger entertainment world. Um, and if we can't sanction, if we can't disassociate people attacking um, you know, our, our, our government and trying to overturn the election results and subvert the basic fundamentals of our democracy. And we can't at least say to them, you know what? We can't lock you up because of the way our laws are, but we're not going to invite you to dinner. We're not going to have drinks with you. We're not going to pal around with you. We're not going to make believe that you're an okay guy who goes along with a good joke. You know, then we're kind of fucked. <laughs> we're just, you know, if, if there are no barriers and this is what we've seen with the whole thing of January 6th, you know, with Trump and the big lie, other Republicans and, and conservatives supporting that big lie. Think of Matt, Matt Schlapp, who runs the American Conservative <laughs> Union, going yep. to Nevada and claiming that there are 9,000 illegal votes when there were none. I mean, maybe 30, you know, and just saying stuff. And, he, you know, he gets fact checked and, they, you know, pants and fire, all that sort of stuff. Um, Michael Flynn calling for... A military coup, martial law, you know, everything that anything that Marjorie Taylor Greene has said. And 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 there there is no punishment. There is no price to be paid. And in fact, in Rudy's case, he gets this nice reward. It's an honor. I'd like to be on the mass singer if anyone out there is listening. Um, it's just kind of fun. And if we can't 
if there's no price to be paid, then it will happen again. And next time it will be worse. Uh, so that's why, so, so when I say, you know, I took the title of the book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, and just switched it to Amusing Ourselves to Autocracy, because the show is celebrating and honoring a guy who was part of an effort, an authoritarian effort, to end legitimate democracy in the United States. And the fact that he's just a total ass clown with his Four Seasons bullshit, with his hair dye dripping into his face, and yet they give him the stage, you know, to do it. Shame, shame on them. But since we're talking about free speech, let me ask you this question then, David. There's a whole free speech now component to the current right-wing narrative. I mean, for example, Elon Musk supposedly wanting to buy Twitter for what purpose? So he himself can restore free speech back to the platform. Now, what do they mean by free speech? Is it like speech without moderation or is it speech without fact-checking? Because you and I have had conversations about that, you know, over the years. Um, I mean, what's your thought on this? Yeah, you know, free speech doesn't mean that, you know, that we're forced to listen to racism, anti-Semitism, or just stupid nonsense. Every, you know, uh, Twitter is, is run privately. Mother Jones, your podcast, we all get to decide who we're going to let talk and how we're going to let talk. Now, in general, I, you know, like the notion of a free-flowing debate and letting people fight things out. But at the same time, there are libel laws, you know, and we see with, you know, that there is an impact when people get out there and, and talk about conspiracy theories, you know, it motivates people to shoot up folks. And so there's, a, you know, there, there, you know, free speech comes with a degree of responsibility. Um, you want, you know, you're, you know, if you're creating, you know, Twitter is like a giant living room. People come and they, you know, you interact, you talk about um, a TV show, politics, sports, and you share videos of monkeys juggling frogs. Look at that. Isn't that fun? It's like this giant living room. Well, in your house, you have a say over what goes on in your living room and what the rules are and what people are allowed to do. You know, does one person get come in and just get to shout over and over and over again? And then say you know things that are that are that are, that are racist or or, or, or or hate speech. So I mean I'm for you know you know making sure that you know that 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 we have discourse that is more civil than not. Um, and I would err on the side of more latitude than not. But that doesn't mean that anyone gets to say anything that they want at any time. And what's happened is that you know and this is the whole issue that comes up with people on the right complaining complaining about political correctness. Political correctness is often just, hey, you can't go out there and be a racist asshole. And they say, well, you know, you're trying to police what I say. Well, actually, kind of saying that if you're going to be a racist asshole, then I don't want you, I don't want you to do it here. I don't want you to do it in my classroom. I don't want you to do it in my platform. You know, you can, you know, tell your, you gather your friends and do it on your front porch. But, um, you know, free speech you know, is, is not the only value that we have in a society when it comes to, you know, communication. So I, you know, so if Elon Musk wants to come out and say, I want to, you know, give Donald Trump back Twitter, I mean, 
it's not what I would do. I understand the intellectual argument there, but to me, that's sort of like a red herring. The real issue is, are you going to allow unmoder- un- completely unmoderated talk? Will you allow you know, uh, racists and anti-Semites and, and other hate folks to have a larger-than-life um, position on, on, on Twitter. You know, what do your algorithms do? This is a big issue on, on Facebook. You know, a lot of their, a lot of the most hateful speech, uh, or the most radical speech, um, sometimes gets the most play because of computer algorithms. I think Facebook has the right to say, you know, we're going to dial back on that. And, you know, and if you, and, and it's not a matter of free speech, if you've, feel your racism doesn't get a bigger audience look i'm i'm um, i'm all i'm all twisted up on this topic because i'm a big elon musk uh you know fan i think he's like the benjamin franklin albert einstein of our generation and i have no issue if he wants to put trump back onto twitter if he even wants to buy it i'm not even sure if he ever really wanted to buy yeah. it as much as you know maybe you just want to make a couple more billion dollars on you know buying and selling the stock of it which of course you know he has a big enough share i'm not 100 percent certain but where i have a problem with this whole issue of free speech i would like to see the united states adopt the defamation rules, the laws that they have in the UK, where the loser pays everybody's bills. Because when I was reading it, it just it, it kind of gave me a flashback to 1987, and you'll remember this when the, uh, Raymond Donovan, uh, which is funny, right? Ray Donovan uh, was yeah. you know was charged with having mob connections. He was the I think Secretary of Labor uh, appointed under yeah. Ronald Reagan, and then he came out after that it was disproven that it was wrong and you know i have a real i have a real sensitivity to this right which office do i go to get my reputation back and you could spend as i try to do every single day for the rest of my life and there will still be people who hate me because of shit that was written about me inaccurate lies misinformation disinformation malinformation um because of my connection and because of my tenure with Donald Trump. So I get the point of allowing Elon Musk, he wants to buy Twitter and put Donald back. Interestingly enough, Donald took the, uh, you know, a pop shot at him. I'm, I don't even want to go back on Twitter. I have my own social media platform, which, of course, folks, doesn't fucking work because it's run by another scumbag that never worked either, Devin Nunes, right? And they have, what, like maybe 15 or 20 people who are on the site and let them sit and let them talk to each other because that. It's either they talk to him there or they just call each other up on the cell phone. This is just a yeah, joke. Yeah, but yeah. using Ray Donovan as sort of the example, that's, a, that's one of the reasons why there has to be some form of moderation going on here. Otherwise, you know, where do you go? What office do I call to get my reputation back? I mean, the, thing, the, the interesting thing about social media platforms are, you know, if you, if you want to have it without, you know, they want to have, you know, some people like you know if this if this is indeed Elon Musk's position, and it's really kind of hard to know what his he says he's for free speech, but it's unclear what that means. Um, but then they you know they don't want moderation, but they also then say you can't sue us because we're not a publisher. 
You know, it's, right. we're not responsible for what appears on our site. There's you know, uh, a section in the telecommunications law that people talk about changing. Um, so they want the ability to not be held accountable and to, you know, you know, do whatever the heck they, they, they want. Um, and, and that to me, you know, that's, you know, I mean, that's what a good corporate <laughs> corporatist will do. They, they, they want to make as much money and have as big an audience without having any responsibility for, 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 for what their product. Well, it's all, it all becomes, it all becomes profit, nothing but profit. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think, I think Elon, as we're talking today, it looks like Elon Musk wants to get out of the deal and it will cost him a billion dollars to get out of the deal. Big deal. He made that in interest already. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It, it's, um, yeah, I, I I can't really figure out what, what what his game is here, but I think we just have a you know a larger problem over the you know the quality of of, of discourse in general in this in this country and you know the ability of disinformation and misinformation to you know play an equal equal role or even sometimes greater role than good information and as a as a working journalist who spends a lot of time and effort you know not just you know popping off and you know and putting out false information you know i see there's there there is an you know a strong imbalance here and um i i mean i i don't know what the long-term answer is right here but when you look at you know how donald trump has used dis disinformation and, and a lot of Republicans and, you know, the big lie and so on and so forth. You know, how do we, you know, as a society and a community, you know, whether we let people say whatever they want to say on Twitter or not, how do we guard against? I don't know. We certainly allowed them to get march, you know, to get uh, rallies going and to, to get licensed for those rallies. But I want to ask you this then. Recently, a delegation of Republicans led by Moscow Mitch McConnell visited Zelensky in Ukraine to show their support. I mean, great. But Republican Rand Paul just held up the quick passage of the $40 billion aid package to Ukraine. Right. So what? The GOP gives, you know, with one hand and then they take with the other. What's the schism going on inside the GOP between pro and anti-Russian factions? Well, this is very this is very interesting because it, it it doesn't split evenly like you know one side's this one side's that it, you know it, it's sort of like different currents right all kind of swirling around. I mean, there's you know Rand Paul who is you know a pretty strong conspiracy theorist himself has always been against internationalism and, and, you know, getting involved overseas and has decried globalists and, you know, um, groups like the Trilateral Commission for plotting to have one world government and, you know, take over the United States. And so, you know, he doesn't like, you know, us getting involved elsewhere. And then you look at someone, we go back to Tucker Carlson, who before the war was saying that he was rooting for Putin, that he didn't care about um uh, about Ukraine, he didn't want the U.S. to be involved. Why should we be involved in you know in another country, even if it's fighting for democracy against against Russia? And you know, there's been a real strong pro-Putin um, part of the of, of, of the Republican Party, led foremostly by Donald Trump himself. But you know, at the you know this white nationalist Nazi conference that Marjorie Taylor Greene and Representative Paul Gosar attended a few months ago. Uh, they were, you know, the Nazis, you know, these white nationalists, Americans were shouting, 
you know, Putin, Putin, Putin. So there's been this component on the right. And also remember Steve Bannon before the war saying he was rooting for Putin because Putin's not woke and there are no rainbow flags in Moscow. So, you know, Putin isn't like in favor of gay rights. So you have all these swirling currents um, on the right that bleed into parts of the Republican Party that are pro-Putin because he's against Biden and he's against gay rights and, you know, I, you know, all these different reasons. And then you have some isolationist tendencies on the right. It can go back to the 30s with Rand Paul and others, some of it being more conspiratorial, and they don't want to get involved. And then you have these Republicans who um, traditionally have been national security hawks, but under Trump, they didn't know which way to turn because, you know, he was and he wasn't depending on the time of day. And so finally, they've, you know, and after making excuses for the Russian attack, they finally, some of them have decided that Zelensky's okay. And they, you know, they see that, you know, here he's 80%, 90% a popular figure, right? And so, and then they go there and they attack Biden, <laughs> saying Biden's not doing enough. When it seems to me Biden's done a pretty good job up to now, up to today. Well, we're going to get to, we're gonna get to know, that. We're going to get to Zelensky that on, on Biden very getting soon. getting us into the war itself. It still, you know, may happen. But um, so, they, so they're trying to, you know, <laughs> you know, after, after, making, after, after making excuses for Trump and his, you know, love affair with Putin for years, now they're trying to show they're anti-Putin, even after they went to Moscow, some of them went to Moscow in, you know, on July 4th. Um, it's, you know. You mean, you mean to you Ukraine? Know, no, I mean, I mean, went to Moscow a couple of years ago on July 4th, the seven Republicans. Oh, yes. That. So this is, a, if you put this out on a chart with a wire diagram, you know, it would make, what's your name, uh, uh, Matheson in, in Homeland dizzy with how they're spinning so quickly in different positions. So, David, let me ask you this then, because Trump is endorsing a whole slew of unqualified far right and QAnon adjacent candidates in the midterms. Now, assuming that a lot of these candidates win their primaries, how do you see them measuring up against Democrats in November? You know, it depends. And what's, you know, there are some places where he's endorsing people where the like where the Republican is likely to be the winner just because of how the district or the area is gerrymandered. Um, he's you know he's endorsed Wendy Rogers, who is a crazy um, QAnonish state senator in Arizona who's running for re-election, who was just a couple of days ago was putting out anti-Semitic tweets. And if she, you know, uh, wins the primary, she will, you know, will, you know, in her district, she's likely to win. Um, and he's done this with other state officials. But then if you look at, say, you know, the Senate race you know, he, in Pennsylvania, which is happening um, as we talk. And so by the time this comes out, people will know. But there he, you know, he, he endorsed Dr. Oz. You know, that's that race, you know, whoever wins on the Republican side and all the Republicans claim they were Trumpies. Right. Even the ones who he didn't endorse. They all said they were even more Trumpy than Oz. So they're all Trumpy. One of them um, marched in January 6th and, uh, you know, she might win. But whoever gets out of that will be up against, you know, a likely strong Democratic contender. Right. So in that in a place like that, there'll be you know, a far out Trump person versus a mainstream, you know, or maybe progressive Democrat. Um, 
you know, so it really depends on, on, on the area. But, you know, if you look at people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who he endorsed in 2020, you know, she ran in Georgia in a district in which, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, but it was predominantly Republican. So uh, and she's likely to win again. Lauren Boebert, um, again, uh, a QAnon, former QAnon supporter in Colorado. So I think it would be interesting to see, you know, if, if some of these folks go down, if, you know, just to what degree his endorsement uh, has power. If you look at the Georgia race uh, between Purdue and Kemp. Right. Uh, but I think, you know, you know, he, he has just really embraced some of the most extreme people out there, including some QAnon big lie supporters who are running for secretary of state to be in charge of the election system in a lot of states. Yeah. And some of those folks are, talk about putting right. Talk about putting the Fox yeah, in the, the uh, house in the hand. I think some right? of those people may end up winning, you know, in certain, in certain states. So, uh, you know, it gets back to my earlier point that I think the Republican party and the conservative movement post January 6th has just become more and more extreme. And I'm not sure the public. Yeah. You know, uh, look, so I, I got to just jump into Mehmet Oz because, um, I just find, I believe that anyone who votes for Mehmet Oz is actually voting for a complete hypocrite. Because we've already stated on this program, as I have on many others, Donald Trump is an Islamophobe. There's no doubt about that. All right. I've heard him say it. We've seen his actions. And yet, Mehmet Oz, who will talk about on his television show that he's into transcendental meditation. He's Turkish American, but he identifies as a Muslim. Now, he doesn't practice um, the Quran the way that a, you know, a, a practicing uh, Muslim does. He believes in something called uh, Sufism, which is uh, it's like mystical yeah, Islamic, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, sect, and very much like the Kabbalah, yeah. right? But it's, um, you know, instead of Judaism, it's, um, it's Islam. And the fact that he would accept the endorsement from somebody who thinks that he's less than a human being, right, it, to me, makes it so repugnant that I would, I don't know how he accepted, you know, Donald's... Um, you know, endorsement at all. Because, again, to me, it's just hypocritical. Is it worth winning to sacrifice your personal beliefs and your ideology? And don't give me this horse shit one, you know, one television jerk off to another, right? Mehmet Oz is exactly the type of person that not only does Donald Trump despise, but the same as this kid that just went out and shot up, you know, the grocery store in Buffalo. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, you asked that question, you know, about what you give up in terms of principle. I think you can ask that throughout the Republican Party now, whether it's, you know, it's something as personal as, as this instance or just in terms of policy, you know, the family values, party and movement, you know, accepting Trump, you know, talking about personal responsibility, the biggest liar I think who's ever served in, in, in the White House, you know, whether it's, you know, policy issues on trade and, and, and other matters, uh, whether, you know, I mean, accepting him when he was defending Putin and claiming there was no attack on the 2016 election. I mean, again and again and again and again and again and again and again, Republicans have had to basically jettison anything that they previously said they cared about 
to be you know on the right side of of Donald Trump. And you even saw that you know after January sixth, you know you know Kevin McCarthy came out and said it was Trump's responsibility. It was terrible. Mitch McConnell did the same thing, and but they wouldn't vote for or support impeachment. And then within weeks, they were back to, yeah, I'll support Trump if he runs again. Mitch McConnell called Trump responsible for what happened on January uh, 6th. And then, you know, literally 12 days after he did that, 12 days. Yeah, Mark Meadows, Mark Meadows did the exact same thing. So let me so, David. Yeah. So let me ask you this then, David. Right. Because it's not just Republicans that have problems when it comes to all this. It's the Democrats as well, right? I mean, while they're not jumping on the side of Donald Trump, I mean, there are plenty that say stupid shit as well. But the thing that I want to ask you is the mainstream media just can't seem to say anything good about President Biden, whether it's going to be Afghanistan, whether it's COVID, whether it's Ukraine. They just refuse to say anything positive about President Biden. I mean, for God's sakes, he's fucking sinking in the polls and the GOP attacks him for everything from baby formula shortage to the downturn of the stock market. I mean, how much is Biden actually responsible for any of this stuff? And how much is just negative media messaging and right wing propaganda? Because I think that we will all acknowledge the Democrats are really fucking lousy at messaging. Yeah, I, I wrote a piece about that in my, my newsletter uh, a couple of days ago. I know, yeah, I read it. People can go to davidcorn.com to sign up. Um, the, they are bad at messaging. Um, you know, and, 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 and what you, you, have, you have sort of two, like, so let's, let's look at this as like a, a triangle, so three forces, right? You have, you know, the Democrats, Party in power, Biden, the White House. That's one group of people, one one force. You have the call it the conventional mainstream media, um, and then you have the Republican slash conservative movement. So Republican slash conservative movement is out there, literally every day, saying the Democrats are destroying the United States. I mean, I get the emails from Trump every day. The radical far left socialists. They want to not that they're doing it accidentally they want to destroy america and they're doing this they're plotting they're doing it through inflation they're doing it through critical race theory you know they they did it in afghanistan they didn't care about afghanistan before but whatever the problem is you know they find a way to say the democrats are doing this on purpose to destroy america and so send us money and it's terrible and they attack everything baby formula so on and then you have the mainstream media and you know their you know basic default position is oppositional confrontation and so okay you know is, is, you know reporting on what's going right you know getting vaccines out and all that sort of stuff isn't you know isn't as juicy or sexy as oh my god inflation people are upset and mad what are you going to do about it what are you going to do about it what are you going to do about inflation today you know da, 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 da. and so you know and so you have that current with the right wing current which is you know you know, uh, demonization and terrible end is near sort of stuff. And so you have, uh, and they kind of play off each other a bit. Um, and they're, they're different messages, but they, but they're adjacent. Uh, and then you have the Democrats and they're fighting amongst themselves or they were before about what to do in Congress, you know, Biden, and this was the same issue with, 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 with Obama 
you know, they get bogged down with the details of governing and trying to make things work. It's a hard job. And they don't spend as much time messaging where all Trump did. Oh, he didn't care about governing. He just wanted a message. And the message is always, I'm great. I'm great. Everything's good. This is better than it was. And, 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 and the Democrats are evil. And so Biden's out there and he's not telling a good enough of a story about the plans that the Republicans have to subvert democracy. You know, he's trying to address people's concerns about inflation, which now is the number one issue in the polls. When he is limited in what he can do, the economy heated up after being in COVID recession. And it's, you know, it's like a, the economy is kind of like a um, one of those big, um, you know, oil tankers or something, you know, you can't, you know, you can nudge it one way or the other, but once it starts going in a, in, in a direction, it can't turn on a dime. So we got people back to work, which is good. And employment's still low, you know, and people got back to work. Some people didn't even want to go back to work, but people got back to work. And yes, things cost more now and that's terrible, but that's kind of the balance here. That's hard to weigh out. It's a tough job and it doesn't, and it can't change immediately. So, you know, we live in a society of, you know, of instant gratification. And so people jump on the president. You know, they do this with Republicans in power, too. And then you and, and then this is used. Not the same. Not the same way. No. I mean, Joe Biden sneezes. It's all of a sudden it's, you know, the, it's it's his death. Right. I mean, I hear more people tell me that it's not even Joe Biden who's running the country. It's Barack Obama. And I look at them and I say, you know, for a smart guy, not only are you fucking stupid, but you're a racist, too. And then they turn around. And they say Afghanistan was a complete nightmare. Really? 125,000 people were safely evacuated from an area that has been in war for over two, you know two decades really how about the fact that it wasn't trump that's been trying to force people to get the vaccination it's it's joe biden and the biden administration to in to the contrary trump was saying you don't need it it's just a flu and and Everything and now, of course, yeah. the gas prices. That's I mean, I mean this is too. Michael. But you I know, mean, this is like to me. This says it all. According to you know a bunch of research, four hundred thousand Americans died a preventable death in COVID, and that was the number that came out like a year ago. By now, it could be you know be higher. Four hundred thousand Americans died a preventable death if we had had better policies. Uh, better messaging at the beginning of, the, of of COVID, all things that could have been done. Now, we're not talking about things that were miracles. How, you know, almost half a million Americans, probably maybe even that many, would be alive. And Trump is responsible for this. And it's just not... So where is Jamie Harrison? Where are the Democrats? You know, say whatever you want about Ronna Romney McDaniel, but you yeah, know, no, they, that, they are not good. But she follows the Trump playbook, and I know it because I helped write it. <laughs> you know, she follows it to the T, right? And so, but you know what, David? As we're winding down the hour, I have one last sure. question for you because you know. I always heard, you know, the Democrats, especially when Joe Biden made the move to nominate um, Kamala Harris for the vice presidency and so on, that the Democrats had a lot riding on Vice President Harris, basically emerging as the future of the party. And yet, 
It seems like she's faded into the background because we hear almost nothing about her accomplishments in the press. Once again, it's the DNC as far as I'm concerned. People like you and me, we can't be the ones talking about it. You have to do more like the Republicans do. But my question to you is, is there a problem with the work Harris is doing? Or again, is it just the perception based on the media bias? I have to say. On the question of Kamala Harris, I am totally flummoxed. I don't understand. I don't understand why, why we don't. Me neither. I don't understand why we don't see her doing more and taking more credit and getting you know um, more positive coverage. I do. You know, you mentioned Jamie Harrison and the, and the DNC. One thing we've seen is that you know, there are only a few people who get to who have a say in the overarching narrative, and you know the biggest person who gets to do that is the president and you know biden and i you know i'm not sure i'll fault him for this but i'll say this is a point of analysis has been trying to you know serve too many different narratives he needs to you know he's been trying to bring the country together i'm the guy who wants to bring the country together he you know also wants to talk about his own accomplishments he you know he doesn't want to be too much of a show showboat um and at the same time he needs to let america know that the republicans pose a threat to democracy if they're going to continue with big lie type of politics and that they're the ones you know you, you don't have dental coverage in your medicare there's a reason it's the republicans you don't have universal pre-k it's the republicans you don't have paid uh you know family leave at workplace it's the republicans we could have all these things if they just voted for them because we democrats are in favor of this and you know, this is what Henry Harry Truman did in 1950, uh, uh, in 1948, when he ran against the do-nothing Republicans of Congress. And he just made them the issue. But he had to say that over and over and over again. And he couldn't one day be a good cop, one day be a bad cop. And so I think, you know, the, 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 you know and the Democrats need to also have money to amplify these messages from the president with paid media, with commercials in the right places and good commercials and good, with good narratives. And I just don't. Listen, all Joe this. Biden needs to do, all Joe Biden needs to do is go into the Rose Garden, make a statement. It's covered by every single news station, not just in the country, in the world. That's the greatest free press. Trump understood this, that the more outlandish shit that he would say, the more he get covered, the less he had to spend Right. Because in those days, he was making the allegation that he was going to pay for everything, you know, himself. But at the end of the day, I don't see the messaging coming out of Jamie Harrison the way I see it coming out of Ronna Romney McDaniel. I don't see the Democrats talking about critical race theory, a Republican, a GOP, you know, ideology, the big lie, the January 6th insurrection, replacement theory. You know, these are the things that they have to start hammering home, talking about who the next president is going to be. If it's Trump, it's four more years of trouble. If it's DeSantis, holy shit, you know, strap in folks because this is going to get ugly. The, the, the Republicans have one play, which is attack, 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 attack. They can change the type of attacks from critical race theory to inflation, whatever, but it's just attack. They don't, you know, they don't need to put out policy papers. Trump doesn't put out policy papers. It's just attack, 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 attack. The Democrats have to do two things, and that is govern and convince people that what they're doing is good, and they have to attack, well, actually they have to do three things. 
then they have to attack the Republicans back and they have to defend themselves on the Republican attacks. So yes. It, it's, yes. It, it, you know, I'm not saying it's impossible, but they need to do all three things at once. It's a juggling act that is hard to do. You know, Bill Clinton was very good at doing this, uh, which is why, you know, he, he got reelected. Um, a lot of Democrats, Barack Obama got reelected, but he was not good at doing all of this. Um, so that's the hard position they're in. And as I've, as I've written, if they don't figure out how to do this rather soon, by the time we get to the summer, they can expect to get yep. clobbered in the midterms. And which, you know, who knows what that sets up for 2024. Yeah, no idea. But David, let me thank you again for your insight and for everything that you're doing to help keep this fight alive. Um, I appreciate it and look forward to having you back on Maya Culpa real soon. It's always good to talk to you, Michael. Thanks for having me. Be well, my friend. And now for today's Maya Culpa. We aren't just dealing with crazy folks with guns. These are crazy folks with guns and an insane ideology. The hate crimes in Buffalo were carried out by a killer who actually believed that by targeting and killing African Americans that he was engaging in a war against what he believed to be a Jewish conspiracy. And while we are just starting to understand what's fueling these hate crimes, at the heart of the Great Replacement Theory is a very old and dangerous notion that a cabal of Jewish elites are plotting to take over not just America, but the world. And yes, the sane amongst us wonder how and why the same radical hatred that fueled Hitler youth is now crept into the consciousness of America's youth, but the implications cannot be overlooked or denied, and we as a nation need to confront anti-Semitism and stomp it out. But it's hard to do when we have politicians who would rather lose lives than votes. The fact that we have sitting members of Congress spouting this bullshit and mainstreaming its message is as terrifying as the violence itself. And as long as we continue to tolerate the rhetoric that creates the cycle of violence and hate, we are doomed to repeat it. Lawmakers cannot be allowed to just publicly mourn the dead and promise that justice will be done and then do absolutely fucking nothing. Right now, we need to call on our politicians to enact meaningful legislation and significant changes in policy that won't just put a band-aid on the problem, but actually work to solve it. And if our elected officials won't stand up and deliver some real change, hey, folks, it's election year, and we just vote them the fuck out. I'm telling you, the ugly surge of white nationalism that Fox News has not just embraced but is perpetuating needs to be condemned outright. And look, if Tucker Carlson wants to come on my show and discuss his views, I'd welcome the discourse. Because to confront the problem, we need to understand why it exists to begin with. Or truth is, it won't end. This isn't just an aberration. This isn't just a couple of mentally ill bad apples. This is a movement that's targeting minorities and trying to overthrow our democracy. And we are only helpless to do anything about it if we give up. So let's not give up. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. 
It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya culpa, nothing but the truth.